1: Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show.
2: Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Earnings season has kind of come and passed. We get it every 90 days. In a year where we focus on Wall Street all year round, we break it into quarters. The quarterly earnings, Didn't save the market. We started the year off with inflation. Inflation is going to eat away at your cash and what you're able to buy. It's also going to eat away at companies' earnings and what that cash can now buy or be reused as. It's been an interesting year. I think we've all kind of remembered or learned a little bit here and there. The Fed is tightening monetary policy with a handful of other wild cards that increased an amazing amount of the uncertainty to the market. Ukraine and all its tragic implications. We have lower stock prices, lower bond prices, and ultimately lower cryptocurrencies and other assets. Vanguard SP500 value exchange traded fund has lost about 7% since the start of the first quarter earnings season versus 18% for the growth. So value versus growth is summed up right there. Value is down 7% in the first 90 days. Growth is down 18%. Now, again, it's not a perfect index, and it probably doesn't reflect your opinion of growth and my opinion of value. But it is a good you know, report card for us. And down 7% in a quarter is not great. It makes you feel like, whoa, we're going to go down 28% for the year in value, or we'll be down to zero sooner than later. It's not going to happen. It's never happened. This market has seen much worse, but we were wildly overvalued. My sons are picking up the vibe that market's down 20% in the NASDAQ and you know 15%, 24 4% in the NASDAQ and 15% in the S P 500, roughly, given the day you're listening to this. And they're keenly aware of like, oh, what's that mean for us? So people are starting to ask questions. And they're children. So it's starting to hit the headline news a little bit more. Cash is effectively worth more today for every more mature profit-generated businesses versus startups and the more early-stage growth companies out there. Venture capital has become very, very tight. Right now, the S P five hundred value stocks at about fifteen times expected earnings over the next twelve months. That's down from seventeen times just about three months ago. Now, historically, as long as I've been around Wall Street, fifteen plus. No, I'm sorry, twenty five plus. Here, you look at the S P five hundred. I've seen it as low as ten to twelve times earnings, and I've seen it as high as twenty five. And it's one of the things I talk about on the show on a regular basis is it doesn't hurt to go to the library and find something called Value Line. And seeing how a company you're interested in trades, for instance, I'm going to give you an easy one, Intel, which is very similar to the SP 500 in its traits of kind of an older, more mature company, but still has some relevance, and makes some money. Historically, it's traded between a PE of 10 and 22. If you buy it at 22 times earnings, you're buying it at like, wow, things are really going great and things are going to get better. If you buy it at 15, you're like, yeah, it's somewhere in between that 10 and 22 number. And if you buy it at 10, you're like, you're getting a lot of value in the last five years. It hasn't typically been this low. Then you have to ask the question, why is it this low? So we've knocked a lot of risk out of the SP 500. I think we still have a ways to go, potentially. We have not seen that panic margin call. In the last two days, a little bit of that's been going on as we've had two very big down days. And by the end of the day, you're seeing people give up on things like Bitcoin. 40% of everyone who's ever bought Bitcoin has now lost money in it. Worthy <clears throat> of note because you have to fight to get back to even. And as you do, some people are like, well, now that I'm even, I'm taking uh, my stuff off the table. I'm not going through that fall again. I'm happy I don't own any Bitcoin. I'm happy that out of all the stocks that I own, I have one that I'm worried about. And that's it. That's it. When I own a company like a Visa, I'm like, I'm pretty darn comfortable. Names like McDonald's. I've seen them go through worse. They'll be okay. 10, 20, 15, 34, 17, 16, four years, will people still be eating McDonald's? And the answer is probably. Companies that I don't have a place for anymore, like I used to own AT&T years ago for the dividend, I'm not interested anymore. I think they've bungled everything. So I'm happy that I let go of it. On occasion, you do have to look at your portfolio and go, why do I own this? And I want you to do that. Earnings season didn't do a lot, but it did lower. It did enough combined with the market corrections to get the valuation to historically normal levels on the S P p 500. So if you bought last year, you were buying at elevated levels. If you bought this year, you're buying at more normalized levels. Doesn't mean it doesn't go lower. Peloton reported a number last night. That was just miserable. They've got inventory piling up at warehouses. Were you bit by the Peloton bug? Were you easily marketed to? Work out from home, get a subscription to a gym. Ra, rah, rah. Are you not using it anymore? Problem that I had with Peloton when I saw it was it looked like a paperweight in my life after about three months. It's become a paperweight for many people. And the company is in a tailspin, still hemorrhaging. When you hear about inventory builds in warehouses, it is the worst possible thing you can hear. In something like um, hardware, in something like software, you would hear day sales outstanding, which means people have got your product, but they haven't paid for it yet. In clinical drug testing, phase one, phase two, phase three trials are lovely, but getting a, pro- a drug approved is, is better. Seeing the re-prescription fill-ups is even better. So there's little metrics that you can catch here and there that'll make you a better investor.
1: 800-516-1220.
2: each calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, how do you feel about the markets? Are you in the shutdown mode? Are you in the opportunistic mode? Are you in the, I don't know what's happening next. In a quick lesson. Now I'm going to save that quick lesson for next segment. Let's just say sexy blonde JFK drugs and alternatives. Coming up on the Rob Black show. One thing that I think we've all learned. I've got a friend who does mortgages for a living. It's good to have an emergency fund. Whether you lose a job or whether you want to get more money to put to work or whether you want opportunities to look elsewhere, emergency funds are part of your financial picture. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Need a referral to a financial planner? Find me at robblackshow.com.
1: Don't miss an episode of The Rob Black Show. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Let's talk a little Andy Warhol and art. Art is an asset class. A little bit more historically known than, say, Bitcoin. Art can't go get a job. Bitcoin can't go get a job. Art can't do anything different than it's done in the past. Same thing with Bitcoin, but yet I like art and for problems with Bitcoin of just not enough sellers, just asking for too many buyers, I have problems with the math of Bitcoin. I've got some art. I've got some nice art in my collection now. As I've gotten older, I dedicate a percentage of my wealth to diversify my assets. I don't have anything fantastic, but I've started collecting and I, I'm in a good position. Pop artist Andy Warhol's portrait of Marilyn Monroe is now the most expensive piece of artwork by an American artist ever sold at auction. A silk screen, you know, the one that has the aqua background, the super blonde hair technique of color on top neon it's saturated has been used ripped off by artists now for numerous years i would say obama's poster was a bit of a ripoff of a warhol it's called shot sage blue maryland it surpassed the previous most expensive piece of art by an american sell at auction that previous was by basquiat at one hundred ten million five hundred thousand dollars Basquiat Jean Mosher was a friend of Andy Warhol's. Um, it's interesting to note back in 2017 that that piece of art was sold to a Japanese billionaire. I'm going to be very interested to see who bought Andy Warhol's. Portrait shattered the previous record for a work by Warhol. His last piece of art that was record setting, record breaking, record setting, breaking, record breaking, setting record (laughs) was one hundred five million dollars paid for in two thousand thirteen for the silver car crash. It lines up with the sky high prices Warhol pieces are set to fetch on the private market now. The screen print was sold as part of an auction of the private art collection of Doris and Thomas Aman, the late Swiss art dealer whose siblings were close friends of Warhol's. It was slightly below the $200 million pre-sale estimate. But we all grew up and we all kind of heard who Andy Warhol was. Now, again, I look at assets as stocks, bonds, real estate, uh, art. Maybe I'll stretch it as far as, say, cryptocurrencies. And I don't think you should live off any one of those. I think you should have a collection If I were to pick just two, it would be stocks and bonds. If I were to pick three, it would be stocks, bonds, and real estate. But that's me. Why would I exclude real estate from the first one with stocks and bonds? Um, Real estate does well with leverage. It doesn't do terribly well against stocks historically. And again, it comes back to that idea of it's a place to live, it's a utility, more so than it's coming out with Place to Live 2.0. Eddie Warhol's remained a pop culture icon. I'm trying to think of the first time I remember seeing him. It had to be in grade school, right? And at that point in time, it was too young in America's history to refer to him as an openly gay man or openly bisexual. You were just like, he's eccentric. Or maybe other people were saying that and I was just naive. Probably the, the more true, right? Leonardo da Vinci's Salvatore Mundi sold for $450 million to become the most expensive piece of art ever sold at auction. And that piece of art went to the crown prince Mohammed bin Salman out of Saudi Arabia. Yeah, the same one for allegedly killing Kashkari. Um these are big numbers, right? And they probably seem too far out for you. And yet you still remember how accessible Marilyn was as he was, as she was brought to us by Andy Warhol. And you probably remember the soup cans. And you saw the soup cans. You're like, ah, that's just suck art. And you probably look at those soup cans now and go, I wish I owned those after you see what Marilyn Monroe went for. Warhol created the sage, shot sage blue, Maryland in 1964, two years after Monroe's sudden death, used a promotional photo from the 1953 Niagara film, gave her a pink face, blue eyeshadow, red lips, sage background. Um, again, Steve Wynn, big resort, industrial, industrial resort? Is that right? Yeah, that's probably the right way i saying that. He's had some problems, right? And he was also a collector. So interesting who collects art and who doesn't. Now, if I were to collect art right now and say I'm worth 20 million and I have enough stocks and bonds and real estate to basically last till the day I die, over my next 10 million, I may dedicate 10 to 20% of it, one to 2 million. And I might start going to museums of modern art, but no, not San Francisco. I would go to like San Jose or I would go to Albuquerque. I would go to not a hotbed of where the snobs go to look at art, but where the wannabe snobs go to look at art because they're creating the demand for the next level of art. Eddie Warhol was a son of a Slovakian immigrant. Another case to say immigrants are A-OK. He was raised Byzantine Catholic, which is pretty surreal as a guy who was raised Catholic until basically my dad got tired of it. Andy Warhol had a. Audience with the Pope at one point in time. He was the first in his family to go to college, he went to Carnegie Mellon out of Pittsburgh, If you've ever been to Pittsburgh, they love him there. In 1956, the Museum of Modern Art in New York rejected Warhol's offer to donate one of his shoe drawings after the museum included it or one very similar in an exhibition. Whoopsie. <laughs> that was a multi-million-dollar mistake by someone at the Museum of Modern Art. I just bring him up because I think you know Elvis. I think you know uh, his Marilyn Monroe. I think you know his style. And I kind of want to say, figure out what works for you. Don't go to garage sales this week and think you're going to find a Warhol, but start thinking of things as assets that have some value if you do it right. A watch isn't worth much. A Rolex is a watch. It's worth a little bit more than just a watch. Same thing with art. Same thing with stocks. There's quality and there's lack of quality. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial.
1: The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more about EP's unique approach to managing wealth at robblackshow.com.
2: Every now and then you hear odd phrases that may not ring too true to you when it comes to money investing and savings and retirement issues. Have you ever heard microeconomics and macroeconomics? Forgive me for going through the basic idea here. It's important that you get it, in my opinion, because when we talk about earnings season and we talk about how it failed to really impact the stock market, you'll hear things every now and then, like the macro pressure on market multiples has outweighed the first quarter revenue and earnings growth, which has been strongest in energy, materials, and industrials. The micro hasn't been as great for growth stocks this earnings season. And you're like, What is macro and micro? Macroeconomics is the study of the whole economy. Microeconomics is the study of a particular market and segments. So again, what's doing well and what's doing poorly? What is the significance of macro versus micro? Macro explains how the economy is affected in terms of unemployment, national incomes, and prices of commodities. Microeconomics is the analysis of the impact of supply and demand for resources based on consumers' choices. Now I know I'm losing you. So something I'm gonna recommend you do today just to further your own education, go learn the difference between microeconomics and macroeconomics. Macroeconomics focuses on inflation, employment, and demand. Microeconomics focuses on trends, characteristics, and changes in the market segments. The approach for macroeconomists is analytical tools for drafting economic policies, whereas for micro, it's investment decisions. Micro investors consider a bottom-up approach by focusing on demand and supply. Macro investors consider a top-down approach to ascertain the nature and the course of the entire economy. I would say if you're growthy, you're more worried about micro. I would say that's kind of a generalization. But you understand if you diversify, you're much more interested in macro. There's relevance to investors. Uh, macroeconomics plays very little roles in investment decisions. It's the study of the whole economy. Microeconomics provides useful insights for investment decisions. And microeconomics, again, is the study of a particular market and segments of the economy. Then you start getting into things like consumer equilibrium, individual incomes, savings, inflation rates, rates of employment, GDP, national income, savings, money, uh, welfare, production, supply. And you can start really freaking yourself out. So I started writing down some of the similarities and some of the differences. Some of the differences are more important than the similarities. Similarities are they're both branches of economics. Similarities are they're both interdependent. Similarities are they both have an impact on the economy. Similarities are they both have same careers in the long run. They're important. The differences is so operational and filled with detrimental information. Macroeconomics versus microeconomics. I I consider myself, I don't really consider myself an economist. That would be a complete misrepresentation. But I like learning about both. I'm concerned with the individual, the household, the small market. I'm concerned, I consider a lot about supply and demand you know you take a look at a sony and they release the playstation 5 huge demand not enough supply and then two years in that cycle you're like uh huge demand still not enough supply and you start going lost opportunities and if you'd built up expectations two years previous you're like oh this is gonna be good maybe four years and then you get the reality and then you get two years plus the reality i highly recommend if you get a chance just to. Learn a little bit more on investing. Housing supply is finally improving. Again, micro versus macro. Where is the housing supply improving? What type of housing? These are the questions you should ask. Is it high-end? Is it low-end? How does it affect my community? You know, when Elon Musk says he's buying Twitter, I'm like, how many people in Twitter headquarters own a home in the Bay Area? As the economy comes out of the pandemic and as the economy comes out of uh, the lockdowns and the government spending and the high inflation and the Ukraine scenario, we're going to be left looking at how does it affect me? Housing supply is finally improving, high prices and rising rates weigh on sales. I would not want to be a mortgage lender right now we are in a weird economic scenario where housing where i live people are holding on to what they have and where i live people want to buy so there's not really this oh some people are retiring some supplies coming in some housing is being built there's a new proposal a new proposition if you will that my county is going to vote on to basically say, we don't want any more bridges or hotels. We do not want any more development, especially don't develop any houses. (laughs) Like, we want green trees. And it's just cruel to people that want to, like, move here. It's artificially, in my opinion, artificially, constraining the uh, supply. Supply of homes for sale is finally showing signs of improvement. Inventory was up 12% excuse me, inventory was 12% lower than the year earlier month. That's the smallest year over year decline. So it's still bad. The shift in supply is likely due to a slower sales pace, which is the problem here. We're building inventory, not because of lack of demand, but from the rapid increase in mortgage rates. A mortgage lender I was talking to yesterday was like, I haven't done a loan like this in nine years, 10 years. And I'm like, really? Because actually now that I think about it, it's been 13, 14 years. So he says he hasn't quoted mortgages at 5.5% in 13, 14 years. Does that tell you something? The shift in supply right now is likely due to slower sales pace tied towards higher borrowing costs. Number of active listings is still down 67% from pre-pandemic levels. But it's improving because of the cost and people's access to cheap money. Home prices are up roughly 34% since the start of the pandemic. The monthly mortgage payment on a $400,000 home with a 20% down payment is roughly $467 more than it was in March of 2020. That's a lot per month. That's an extra $6,000 a year. And one of the number one things people say when they buy a home is they don't expect all the costs that hit it in the first year. In my 20s and 30s when I bought my first homes, I typically brought college furniture or my first home furniture with me, trying to mitigate how much extra cost there was always going to be right around the corner. 70% of Americans now say it is a bad time to buy a home. That's the highest share since the polling organization began asking the question back in 1978. This is according to Black Knight, a mortgage technology and data provider. Inventory is on the rise, but buyers are still coming out of the woodwork and committed to landing homes. I've got some friends who are trying to sell in West Marin so they can move to the foothills in El Dorado. And that's a tough push because West Marin's not nearly as well located as East Marin. Um, I'm throwing down some terms that probably they're losing some people on location, location, location. And heading towards El Dorado Hills, yeah, now's a good time to go before school's out. But um, they're building, which is lovely. He still has to get someone to pay a price that he wants for his home in Marin. He wishes he would have put the house for sale three months ago. That's how much the last three months have changed the environment for lending. Uh, total number of visitors to his home when he put it uh, for open this week. They were expecting almost 200 people to see the house. Seven. Seven of which someone flew all the way from Colorado to see. And basically, eh, it's not great. Location's not great. and real estate, you remember what they always say? Location, location, location. Lumber prices are falling their lowest level in 2022 as the higher mortgage rates dent housing demand. So we're seeing some inflation come out. You know, all those boring things like consumer price inflation, um, the producer price inflation. We're seeing, we're seeing lumber prices fall. So those numbers aren't going to look as bad in the coming months. Lumber prices are down 30% year to date. They're down 13% in the past seven days. So we are seeing some inflation numbers ease. That should help if you're trying to make a long-term thesis for when should you buy, when should you sell, what's your investment thesis should be. I'm not freaked out in the least. I've been through this scenario i've been in this rodeo many times do i enjoy it i'm just glad i'm not 62 years old and was counting on that exact dollar amount my spouse was asking me last night she goes don't you feel bad for people who are in retirement i'm like no last year they're at all-time highs and now they're 10 to 20 percent off all-time highs maybe 5 to 15 percent. if they've been conservative in their portfolios i'm like no i'd still take the last three five seven ten years Anyhow, where do we stop is the question, right? Dun, dun, dun. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show, need a referral a financial planner that I work with? Find me online at Rob Black, Rob at RobBlackShow.com.
1: Find us at RobBlackShow.com. RobBlackShow.com.
0: A personal financial plan with custom investment advice. That's why Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. With over 12 billion in assets under management and more than 80 financial professionals at the helm, BP services were built with you in mind. How can they help you? Find out at robblackshow.com. Robblackshow.com.
2: SP 500 fell below 4,000 for the first time in more than a year yesterday as inflation concerns ruined a gorgeous day across the country. Big tech companies have lost more than 1 trillion in market value over the past three trading sessions. That's not a bad thing. That's letting the air out of an overinflated balloon before it pops. On valuation, not on speculation. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about on this show. As we, as I mentioned there, the last three days have been pretty brutal. So that obviously begs the question, snapback rally today. Yeah, I'm seeing a little bit of one, but I'm also not seeing a lot of conviction. I'm not seeing a big number. And I'm still worried that we haven't hit full-fledged panic yet. Maybe in the last few days, as markets go lower, people are very speculative, take out loans so they can buy stocks. It's called margin. If they called it a loan to buy stocks, you'd be like, that doesn't sound good. But if they call it margin, you're like, oh, it's just on the margin of what I It's just, that's easy. So volatility is a little bit lower today compared to yesterday. It's down at the 33 level, up down from 35. I really want it to go to 40. And for poops and giggles, I'd love to see it go at 45 because then we would be all weekends are out. People look for different things. People look for, do stocks hold 50 day moving averages, hundred day moving averages. I'm kind of big onto the volatility index when things get rough. But again, that's me, you're not me. So you be you, I'll be me um apple's at a point now where i'd be like myself interested in buying do i make money year one no that's not called investing that's called like woohoo you get the idea yesterday we got to learn a little bit more about uber and a letter to staff that leaked and how Uber is talking about the rapidly deteriorated macro environment, and what he laid out is probably being mimicked right now by boardrooms across the country. The market's experienced a seismic shift due to the uncertainty, and the safer bets are being prioritized over riskier ones. Meta introduced a hiring freeze. In the first hour of the show, I talked about the difference between microeconomics and macroeconomics, and macro is like big picture jobs numbers across the United States. So you start seeing these companies that are bullet shots like Meta and Amazon. Amazon executives are worried their warehouses are overstaffed. Meta has introduced a hiring freeze. Robinhood cut 9% of its staff. The bottom line picture is if Uber's thinking it, you're thinking a lot of boards are thinking it, and you're probably gonna see some job cuts come sooner than later across the nation. And Andy Warhol Silk Street of Marilyn Monroe sold for $195 million at Christie's last night. That sounds like a lot. It's the priciest sale of any American artwork at auction, the most expensive 20th century artwork ever to sell to date. Still remains number two behind a $450 million Leonardo da Vinci painting. Can you imagine paying that kind of money for a painting? I can't. But I get it. Let's take a look. Now that we've looked at yesterday, let's take a look at today, shall we? So we've had three bad days, and the stock market is poised for a return. Two positive numbers. The thrust this morning is rooted in the idea that the NASDAQs dropped 10% from its high following a FOMC meeting announcement. um, That was kind of a false front of we're not going to raise rates. 75 basis points, only 50 basis points. And I'm like, that's not exactly a compliment. That's like saying, I'm going to hit you 10 times, but instead of doing it three, 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 and one, I'm going to do it two, 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 and two. And you're like, that still equals 10. And it actually just drags out the pain a little bit longer. Now, again, there's short term pain, long term pain, right? <sighs> there's been some blow ups in the market. Upstart is down 58%. GoodRx down 32%. Novavax had some decent stories to tell last night after the market closed on vaccines and COVID issues, and they're down 26%. Peloton is down another 20%. I mean, how low does the limbo bar go? How low can you go? The answer is to zero for some companies. I don't think that's the case for most companies. Um. But it's out there. I kind of want to see where Peloton's trading at right now. Oh, man, $12. Wow. That shows you how little I look at their stock. A year ago, almost a year ago, exactly, it was a $96 stock. Is that humbling or what? And then you take a, a, a gander and a thought at the idea of like, Two years ago, you're like, this company has it all. They've got good-looking instructors screaming at people on bicycles. They've got a subscription plan. They've basically got the Apple for exercise equipment. And now they just have inventory building up. Down from its all-time high of 151, it sits at $12 a share. It's broken. If you're waiting for that to go up to 50, you have false delusions of grandeur um could it go up in the next six weeks nine weeks absolutely is it going to nobody knows there's not a lot of economic data to talk about today to me this is a little bit of a snapback rally but is it a dead cat bounce or not eh, probably david tepper rich billionaire who once bought a house of a previous boss and demolished it and put a house twice the size on it just because he's that kind of guy. Coming out of Pittsburgh, he said, I could always go back to Pittsburgh and work in steel mills if investing doesn't work out for me. That's the right attitude to have. Um, he's saying, let's go long NASDAQ after I just finished my short on NASDAQ. The thing I don't like about that is when billionaires start talking to CNBC, I, I think it's a little bit, it does create a gambling parlor mentality in Warren Buffett's words. Pfizer is offered to acquire Biohaven Pharmaceutical. Pfizer is offered to acquire Biohaven Pharmaceutical for about $11.6 billion. That's a 79% premium over yesterday's closing price. I don't mind that. Right now, pharmaceuticals seem like something we're going to have in our life. And biotech companies kind of feed the pharmaceutical company's talent. Interesting, Pro Lodges, Ticker Symbol PLD. They do a lot of real estate in storage units. They're acquiring Duke Realty for $61.68 a share, 29% premium. It's rumored that Elon Musk says, hey, if the NASDAQ's down 20%, since I've offered to buy Twitter, then I should get a 20% discount. Interesting times. I'm Rob Black talking to all things financial money investing and more. Broad-based rally from an oversold condition. Ten-year treasury yield drops below 3% after playing with 3.1%. A little bit of mergers and acquisition activity is a positive. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money investing and more. Find me online at on Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show.
1: Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show.